Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, you need to turn to the book of Micah. We're in chapter 5, verse number 2. And this is a very familiar passage. Of course, it is a prophecy of Micah. And yes, my son is named after this uh, prophet. Uh, when we were in a school, Bible school, uh, of course, uh, we had uh, Micah in my senior year. And uh, we, uh, Donna and I both had the uh, same Old Testament professor. And uh, Dr. Lee... Uh, was very versed. He spoke Hebrew fluently. He was a uh, Old Testament scholar. I mean, he was, uh, I really was blessed by being in this man's classes. And so I went to him and I said, Dr. Lee, I, I said, I just want you to know something. He says, what's that? He says, we just found out that we're going to have a baby boy. And he says, oh, I praise the Lord. And uh, he was from Louisiana. So he had a little bit of a Cajun accent. And he says, oh, that, that's, that's really good. And, uh, and I, I said, we've already picked a name out. And he said, uh, what, what have you going to name your son? I said, Micah. And for the next 20 minutes, he gave me a dispersation on well, the prophet Micah. He told me when he, I mean, he gave me all this information. And I'm looking, and it, it was you know, information that was very worthwhile, but I'm thinking, I just told him was having, I didn't expect him to, you know, give us a full-blown uh, 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 dissertation on uh, the prophet Micah. But uh, Micah, of course, if you read the book of Micah, uh, he is considered uh, one of the minor prophets. Now, when you hear the term minor prophets, that does not mean they are of less significance than the other prophets. It just means that their body of material is a little bit smaller than, say, Isaiah. Of course, Isaiah, uh, a lot of information there. So, uh, when it says minor prophets, it's not talking about their significance because if they were a prophet of God, it doesn't matter uh, if they had just a little bit to say or a whole lot to say. Uh, everyone is significant in God's eyes. Amen? And uh, so Micah, uh, of course, gives us this prophecy. And uh, you're in chapter 5, verse number 2. This is what the word says. But thou, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephethah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. Now, I'll stop right there. What is he referring to here is, if you look at the beginning of Micah, you will see that they were, uh, they were uh, took the people and they were uh, grouping them, if you would, number them in uh, certain numbers. So they're, they're going on. And so uh, Bethlehem, those that were coming out of that area, uh, they were very small. Bethlehem is a very small place. Even today, uh, Bethlehem uh, has about uh, twenty to 25,000 people that live there in Bethlehem. Now, the significance of Bethlehem, why do people go to Bethlehem even today? It's because it's the birthplace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But if you go to Bethlehem today, only 2% of those who live in Bethlehem are believers. The rest of them are Muslim, okay? And so he goes, even though thou art little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. 
And so here we come across Bethlehem Etheratah. We understand the reason why uh, there are both names there is to distinguish because there is another Bethlehem a little further north of, of this Bethlehem. The Bethlehem that's in reference to here in Micah 5, 2 uh, is south of Jerusalem. Uh, some say it's five or six miles. Some say it can be as far as 10 miles, but it's very close to Jerusalem. We also know that uh, it is a very old town. And we know that it uh, goes back to being in existence at least back to uh, 1250 B.C. And the reason why we know this is because of a letter that had been found uh, that a Palestinian uh, king wrote a letter to an Egyptian pharaoh. And it uh, showed the date there. So we know that Bethlehem goes back to at least 1,250 years before Jesus Christ. But isn't it interesting? Or you might say, well, it's not interesting. It's the Word of God. Uh, that uh, here it is, if we go by that gauge, uh, th over 1,000 years, even before the birth of the Lord Jesus, God had a plan. And the prophet Micah understood that out of this little bitty village town, something wonderful was going to come out of it. So we also know there's other significance of Bethlehem as well. Bethlehem has been mentioned a number of times, and we see that it was made uh, mentioned, first of all, in Genesis chapter 35. And in Genesis chapter 35, we see that it's a story of Jacob and his family. Uh, we know uh, Rachel. Rachel is with child. They're going to have a son. And as they're uh, making their journey, of course, Rachel in the childbirth, uh, it starts having complications, and uh, her son was born. Now, it's interesting uh, that the son, uh, Rachel, uh, before she died, named her son Benoni, B-E-N-O-N-I, Benoni. And she named her son that because the name means son of sorrows, because we know because of bringing this child, Rachel dies. And her grave is right side out of Bethlehem. And I thought about this. The son, Benoni, who later becomes Benjamin, who, by the way, that name means son of thy right hand, that this town... Before Jesus, man of sorrows. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 3, makes reference of Jesus as a man of sorrows. The first time we see Bethlehem mentioned, it deals with sorrows and suffering. Oh, that just must be a coincidence. I don't think so. So here we see, isn't it significant that our Lord Jesus would be born in Bethlehem that had already experienced sorrow and suffering because that's exactly why he was going to be born because he was going to have to suffer because of your sin and my sin. God knows what he's doing. But we also see that uh, as you... 
or say Benjamin later was changed to, son of thy right hand. Wow. Scripture tells us that our Lord Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, who was our man of sorrows, who suffered sin uh, and the penalty of sin because of us, he took our sin upon, he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now, I don't know about you, but this is encouraging to us on Christmas, is that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, but as we see things rapidly being fulfillment of prophecies that we know he may be sitting right now, but it won't be long before he gets up. <laughs> and we call it the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, well, hey, the little town of Bethlehem, Jesus was born, the man of sorrows. Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus who's coming again. But we see there's even more significance here in Bethlehem. A lot more things took place in Bethlehem because we see that there was a judge uh, by the name of uh, Bizan. Uh, Bizan was a judge. Now, what is significant about that? The significance is this judge who lived before Jesus, who was a judge, now Jesus who will be judge. He's going to be judge and he's going to be ruler. We're going to have to stand before him one day, right? And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he, you will stand before him in judgment. Oh, praise God tonight on this Christmas day that we're celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We also understand that we also celebrate the, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Uh, and we also can celebrate tonight that when I stand before him, I won't be standing before him in judgment, but I'm going to be standing in him to receive my reward. And it's all because of what he did for me on Calvary's tree. See, Christmas is a whole lot more than just having a baby born. So, but then it, the story goes on. We see in Revelation 13 and, and verse 19, excuse me, 15, where he talks about that he will come and he will rule with a, a rod of iron. See, this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, a very simplistic, uh, very humbling experience. Pastor uh, did a, such a great job explaining that he is, probably was in the cave. If you go to Bethlehem today uh, and you go to the church where they, uh, they tell us that that's probably where he was born, you're going to a cave. Very humbled. There are animals around. Uh, he talked about, remember, Pastor talked about the trough, that he was not uh, in the nice uh, nativity scenes that we have today, but he was in a feeding trough. Very humbling, is it not? You go to Bethlehem today, it is not really, it's, it's dirty, it's just really, I mean, you're thinking, really? He's here. I mean, for some, and this is my... When I first went my first trip and they said, we're going to Bellingham today, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be good. But I thought, you know, I'm thinking westernized, okay, because you go to Elvis's place, right? 
And, 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 and you, I mean, it's, you know, have this big sign, home of Elvis Presley, and they have all this, and it's all kinds of lie, you know, it's all kinds of big to-do about it. But when you go to the birthplace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's very humbling, it's very simple, it's just like, wow. But that's where he's born. But watch this. He may have come in the first time in a very humble setting, but the next time he comes, he's going to come in victory and he's coming as warrior Jesus. Oh, by the way, we're included in that return. Isn't that cool? We come, that's what the scripture tells us. But then we also see, if you read the book of Ruth, the, the experience that we see there in the book of Ruth, it took place around Bethlehem. We all know the story about the book of Ruth. Ruth is a story of the kinsman redeemer. See, Ruth, who was a Moabite, a non-believer, she found salvation. And she found salvation there right outside of Bethlehem, the very place where the Lord Jesus was going to be born. The, and the scripture tells us we see Jesus. Oh, you do understand tonight that you see Jesus from the beginning all the way to the end. And in the book of Ruth, we see Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. On this Christmas evening, aren't you glad that we are coming to a church and we're not coming to a church uh, to light candles or, or have a menorah and celebrate the festival of lights, but we've come to say, thank you, Jesus, for not only being born, but thank you for dying for my sin, but thank you for giving me salvation. We have salvation tonight. Why? Because of the birth of a little baby boy in a place called Bethlehem, Ephratah. Wow. The book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. But also, King David. King David was anointed in Bethlehem. The greatest kings, many consider the greatest king, King David. Isn't it wonderful to know that one day, back close to 2,000 years ago, there was another king born, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then it even gets even better. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus said that he was the bread of life. And he said, if you eat of this bread, you'll never hunger again. On this Christmas evening, aren't you glad that you tasted of the bread of life and you no longer have hungered? And you've also not only ate of the bread of life, but you also drank to the living water, and you're never thirst again. But then, ifata, that means fruitfulness. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was the first fruit. Now, not because of, uh, of order of birth, but because of significance. See, that's the reason why when we give our tithe, we give of the first fruits. 
See, when we talk about first fruits, we have to recognize tonight that Jesus is first in our lives. This Christmas, we all that we did, we did it with the understanding that this is all about Him. And isn't it a shame that many in the world today are celebrating Christmas that they're not putting Jesus first? They're putting their selves and their selfishness, their self-centeredness, and oh, we can go on and on. They're putting their families first. They're, they're doing all kinds of things uh, that are stressing everybody out. Uh, I hope I got the right gift. Or, uh, I hope I've done the right thing. And, or I hope I was equal among all my grandchildren. We get so worked up on that where we forget to realize that the first thing we need to be concerned with, have I pleased the Lord Jesus? Have I celebrated his Have I gave him honor on this day, the day that we celebrate his birth? But then we also go and we understand that many years ago, uh, there was a plan. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4, the plan, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the, the Bible tells us there, Paul wrote it down, and he says, uh, talking about the Lord Jesus, that he has chosen us. Okay, now watch. The Lord always speaks in complete sentences. Sometimes we'll take a partial text and pull it out and try to make a doctrine stand upon it. Those who are Calvinistic in their theology will say, see, he says it right there, he has chosen us. But read the rest of the sentence. He's chosen us in Him. That changes everything. See, I'm, uh, when I was in school, uh, I got red marks on my English papers, a lot of red marks. And the, the number one complaint, I call it a complaint, I thought it was okay, uh, my teacher was run on sentences or incomplete sentences. And I was guilty of that. That's the reason why Brother Chris has to proofread what I write in the newsletter along with uh, Jessica too. Because they know I like to just keep that thing running. But the Lord Jesus, when He speaks, He speaks in coherent, complete sentences. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, He says, Yes, He has chosen us, but He chose us in Him. That makes a whole bit of a difference. See, you're chosen before the foundation because if you keep reading in Ephesians chapter 4 going into verse number 5, you will see where it talks about that we were, uh, talks about predestined before the foundations of the world was established. What is that saying? That saying is that, yes, he chose us, but he chose us by what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And we accept what he did for us. But you go back and it was already predestined. It wasn't predestined in the fact that he's picking and choosing who's going to be saved, who's not going to be saved, because it goes on and talks about his will. Look in verse number 5 of Ephesians 1. He says, in his will. And you read on in Scripture and it says, it is God's will for all men to be saved. Right? And so if you're chosen... It's not because you're so special. 
You were chosen before the foundation of the world. Let's say it this way. And uh, we've had it in class before, but Brother Crockett Carr, back some years ago, I've been reminded of that, that he, uh, they were talking about Calvinistic theology and Arminianism and all that. And he said, uh, Brother Crockett uh, said it the best. He said, yes, I believe in predestined. There was a predestined plan, not predestined people. You were included in that plan. I was included in that plan. And the plan was established before the foundation of the world was, was ever uh, came into being. And so here we understand tonight that this is, the, when you look at Bethlehem and in Micah 5, 2, some a thousand years before the birth of Christ, they, he was revealed to him that there was a plan. The plan has never changed. There's not plan B, folks. There's not a backup plan. It's always been one plan. And what is that? That there was going to be the son, the only son, his only begotten son. John 3.16 tells us that he was going to come to this earth. And in John 1.1, 1, 1, it talks about he's going to put on flesh and walk among us, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that that plan was that there was going to be a little baby born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, and and that this one was going to become a little boy and he was going to grow into a man and he was going to have an earthly ministry that lasted three years and he was going to go to the cross. He was going to be the ultimate sacrifice. The sacrificial system is no longer in existence today because when Jesus became our sacrifice, it was a complete sacrifice. It was done one time, one time only, and that those who have trusted in him will trust that he died for their sins. He was buried on the third day, but in victory rose on the third day, sitting now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us even tonight, and that He is coming, and He's coming soon. And there will be a glorious day when we will see Him face to face, and we'll hear Him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what Christmas is about. It was a plan established before the foundations of the world. Aren't you glad tonight that this Christmas there was a place and there was a plan and that plan included you? Wow. Thank God this Christmas we don't have to do a bunch of rituals. We don't have to be, do the, uh, a bunch of do's and don'ts that we come tonight all because of His grace and His mercy, and that He had a plan, and that plan included you. Wow. I don't know about what you got for this Christmas. I got some neat stuff. You probably say, well, yeah, I, I did too. But I guarantee you one thing. You can't beat this gift, the gift of salvation. And by the way, you didn't have to order it through Amazon. You didn't have to wait in line at Walmart or Target. And you didn't have to scramble and make sure you got the, the last one. This plan is free, but it's not cheap. It's not cheap. Free to us, but it cost him everything. Wow, that's Christmas. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. I love that song. 
And tonight as we come to an invitation, I've asked Brother Marty that we close out and we're going to sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem.